So this week, we're doing kind of a one-off lesson. It's a continuance of last week where we talked about being connected to one another and to God. Um, and it's looking at the idea of where are we going? And before we even jump in, I want to share a story of this wonderful trip that me and Anna took to Austin, Texas to visit her sister and brother-in-law. And so those of you that know me, I like to go running in the morning. It's just one of those things I do. I'm a creature of habit, whatever you want to call it. But I saw I go running in the morning. And for some reason, this particular morning, I got up um, and I didn't take my phone with me on my run. I always take my phone with me on my run so that if I do get lost, I can click and go, hey, find my way home. This week, this morning, I didn't. And I assumed that the neighborhoods in Austin, Texas are a lot like the neighborhoods in Philadelphia and around the state where they kind of grid off. And like, if you get lost, you can make a left-hand turn and eventually find your way back home, right? Um, no, not in Austin, Texas. In Austin, Texas, they do like zigzags and swirlies and dead ends and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and so I, about, I got about halfway and I was like, all right, time to head home. And sure enough, I got lost. And I don't mean I got lost for a little bit. I mean, um, 13 miles later, I'm going, where am I and what do I need to do? Lost. I, I jokingly say when people ask me, have you ever run a marathon or a half marathon? I always tell them, I've run a half marathon, but not on purpose. And so I got lost, and eventually I ended up on like a main strip, and there, was a hot, and there was a hotel. And the sad part is, I couldn't even remember the name of the road that they lived on. So I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know Anna's cell phone number by heart. Don't tell her I said that, but I don't. Um, because that's the world and the age in which we live in. And so I'm going, what am I going to do? And so I walk into the hotel, and I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm in trouble. I don't know what to do. And the guy, luckily he's smarter than me, and he goes, is your iPhone on? And I said, yes. And he goes, go to one of our computers and use the Find My iPhone app. And I was like, all right. And so I did that. And I would have never thought to do it. And I found out that for the whole time I was running around in that neighborhood, I was less than a mile away from the house. But for some reason, I couldn't get to where I was trying to go. And y'all, some of y'all are going, why is he sharing this story about his directionally challenged self? Um, and then the beauty of it is I get home finally, and where is my wife? She's sitting in the dining room, eating her eggs, drinking her coffee, going, did you have a good run? And I'm like, I've been gone for three hours. And she's like, I had no idea. Um, but anyway, but I think this idea of how of my run, my adventure, if you will, is so often how we deal with our faith. And I'm going I'm to shell out what that means just a little bit more for you. Um, if you've got your Bibles, what we're going to be looking at today is James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Um, and verse 7 says this. It says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And I think... My personal belief, you may disagree, and that's fine, but I think so often in our faith, we get this part. We get verse 7. We get this idea of run from what is evil. 
We get the idea of, of that's temptation. I don't need to be there. I need to run away from that. That's not good. I don't need to do that. This, we look at the Bible as a list of things not to do. And so we run and we flee and we go the opposite direction of bad things. Your mamas and daddies, when you're growing up, tell you, no, those are that's a bad place to be. My parents, my curfew was always midnight because my mama's reasoning was nothing good happens after midnight. So it wasn't that I was going for the good, it was that I was staying away from the bad. And I think this is how we perceive our faith. As long as you stay away from the bad, then you are good. I think it's kind of how we look at it. I'm not a math person, but isn't that like the transitive property or something like that? Sounds right. Uh, Brax tells me no, but all right. Um, you know, but I feel like it is. But it's like, you know, we say that if I'm not doing bad, then I must be doing good. Um, and I, 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 James doesn't stop there, though. Because James, in verse 8, says that we are to draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. And, and I'm glad that he says to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Because I feel like this is the other half of the equation that we oftentimes miss. We get so caught up in the, I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to say those words. I'm not going to act like that. But we lose sight of this part that says, what are we running to? What is our destination? And so what happens is we find ourselves running around like I was in Austin going, I don't really know where I'm going. I'll eventually figure it out. And James lays it out in real plain language for us. But the question becomes, what does that mean to draw near to God? What does it look like to draw near to God? And he goes on in verse 8, and he tells us to cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And, and, he, and he goes on to basically go into what we were talking about last week with the idea of being of one mind and one spirit. The fact that, that it's not that we all agree necessarily on one thing, but the fact that we are all pursuing and striving for one end goal as the church. Uh, and, and so what he's getting at is, is if you look at Luke 19.10, you don't have to turn there because I've got the verse for you, but it's the story of Zacchaeus, and we hear this. It says, For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. Plain and simple. This is, this is the laying out of why Jesus came. You want to sum it all up for your children, for whoever. Why, is Je why did Jesus have to come? And Luke 19.10 says it. He came to seek out and save the lost. He didn't come, and this may hurt some people's feelings, but he didn't come to set up an organized religion. He didn't come to put together the best Bible study. He didn't come to necessarily even have the most people sitting in his congregation on Sunday mornings. Actually, he only had 12 follow him around most of the time. But what he came for was to seek and save the lost. He came on a search and rescue mission, if you will. And what we hear is that Christ is longing to connect with us. 
Because we're all just a little bit lost, if we're honest. We all have our own struggles and things that we wrestle with that make us kind of veer off the path every now and then and go, well, how did I end up over here? And so God is longing to be in a relationship with us, but the question becomes, as we hear in verse 8, are we longing to be in a relationship with God? I'm going to apologize to every person here that grew up and sat around and heard these wonderful, there's nothing wrong with children's church moments, but for me, this is what they turned into a lot, was this. Just be a good person. Just be a good person. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't steal. Do what your parents tell you. And we we raised people to be good people, but did we raise people to be Christian? Is a whole different question. And that's nothing against any children's minister or person that has delivered a children's message. I honor you and give you all the glory because I'm not willing to do it because it's not my gifts and graces. But my question, parents, because y'all are the people that have the most time with your children, how are you instilling that being a Christian is more than just being a good person? How are you showing that a relationship with Jesus matters? Or are we just worried about the flee from the devil part and not worried about the running to God part? Are we spending time in quiet times? Are we spending time in our scriptures? Are we spending time in prayer? Or do we just expect our kids to get it because they show up to church on a Wednesday or a Sunday? And I by no means am telling people how to raise their kids because I don't have any, so I don't understand the stress that comes with it. So don't go home and be like, well, that preacher, he doesn't understand because you're right, he doesn't. I'm just going to be honest, he doesn't get it. But it's just a question that we need to be honest with because what we're called to be is more like Christ. We're called to, to have the heart and to... This is the difference. Is my seminary professor would always say this. There's a big difference in knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. If I was to get somebody up here to tell me about Paul Patrol, they could do it. They would tell me all about it. And I'd be like, so do you actually know those people? No, they know about it, but they don't know them. And what we're longing for, what, what our hope the, the title of this is where are we going what, what our hope as a church is is that we are shifting to a focus of growing in relationship with Jesus Christ that we don't just get up on Sunday mornings and go let me tell you about him and you go home and go I learned something new today but what you go home and do is go man I want to know that guy man I need to spend time in my scriptures man I need to spend time in prayer Side note, prayer is not just you talking to God. Sometimes it takes time to listen. My wife gets on me a lot because I don't listen. Um, And it's not really a conversation if you're not willing to listen. And not just listen to what you want to hear, but listen to what is actually being said. And sometimes God will lay on your heart some hard truths that you don't want to accept. But you don't get to change the fact that they're true. But anyway, that's a side note. Um, So we got to connect to God. 
And then James continues in verse 9. And in verse 9, James tells us, Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into dejection. Which may be the most uplifting verse in all of Scripture, right? Where it's literally saying like, Hey, let all of your laughter be turned into mourning. Let all of your joy turn into dejection. Like, that's super uplifting stuff right there. We can, woo! I don't know about y'all, but I'm like, yeah, I'm done. I can go home now. That's the most uplifting verse I've ever heard. Except for it's not. Until you get what James is trying to point to. Because what James is trying to point to is he's trying to point to the idea that we no longer have to put on a mask or a face of something that's not true. That's why we played that game earlier where you were trying to figure out people without the faces. Is that what would happen, this is what would happen if we came and we were honest with what was going on with the struggles and with the issues that we were facing when we came to church. Would people still recognize us if we didn't walk up and down the hallways going, Hi! Praise be to God! I'm good. We're good. Everything's good. When inside you're going, life is terrible and my family is falling apart. What would happen? Would we recognize each other if we were real and honest with each other? Because when your true face isn't known, neither are you. I read somewhere this quote that we are the most connected generation in all of history, yet you see more people struggling with depression and feeling alone than ever in history. And how is that possible? And the reality is this, because we are putting on a face and saying, I'm good, we're good, everything's good. And we sadly even do it when we come to church. We say, everything's all right. And what my challenge to you is that we stop trying to fake it, stop acting like we're the only person that doesn't struggle, that isn't tempted, that doesn't have issues that are coming up in our lives, and that we can begin to be honest about our battles. Because something that I've noticed that happens when we can be honest about the things we struggle with is then we have empathy for the struggles of other people. And by empathy, I mean, then we don't look at people and go, oh, well, they're a sinner because they're struggling. But we go, oh, we're all struggling. Oh, okay. Uh, And this is a weird thing to do. In all honesty, this doesn't come normal for us. This is not what we do. I'm, I'm reminded at a church that I was serving prior to this one, when I was walking through the church one morning and I saw somebody that was a friend of mine and I said, hey, how are you? And their response was not what I was expecting because I was expecting, oh, I'm good, everything's great, and to keep walking, okay, good to hear, and keep walking. Well, well, her response was, you know, I'm really not that good right now, I'm struggling. But my mind didn't click what she'd actually said because I was expecting what we do is Niceness, and I said, oh, that's good. Good to hear. And kept on walking. Because we don't, we, we don't expect honesty like that in church, which is a red flag to me, by the way. Um, but I will say I did pick up the phone later, call her and go, hey, I'm so sorry. 
Uh, because it didn't click till after you were halfway down the hallway what you actually said. What's going on? Are you okay? Is everything all right? But that's just to show you that, like, I even am in, in that assumption that, like, this is how we act at church. Um, Brennan Manning made a quote one time, and I'm, not, I'm probably going to butcher the quote, but I'm going to give it anyway, that the church is not meant to be a museum of saints, but a hospital for the sinners. And I want us to take that to heart because the problem is I think that we feel like I've got to get made up. I've got to look just right. I've got to put on a happy face and a perfect face that everything's okay. And if, ever, if we put on that face, how do we ever expect to be made whole if we aren't willing to acknowledge our brokenness? Um, and so we continue with the culture shift that we're hoping for, which comes in verse 9, which literally says, or verse 10 rather, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So this culture shift that I'm looking at is plain and simple this. If you come to church on Sunday morning, and, and Val may throw something at me, and that's fine. But if Val says, hey, y'all, stand up and sing, and you're just not really feeling that right then, don't do it. If, if, if you come to church and you're wrestling with something, don't feel the need to walk around with a grin on your face like everything's okay. That my, my hope for the culture shift is that we can at least, in, in this little small room, in this little small group, in this little small corner of the world, become a place that we are actually open and honest about what we're going through. And that we care about each other enough that if we have to stop a worship service because we know somebody's going through something and just spend time in prayer, that we can do that. That we actually care and engage in each other's lives. That it's not like a, oh, I hadn't seen you since last Sunday. How are things? Oh, I'm good, I'm good. But it's like, hey, I remember, and we send each other text messages during the week. Hey, I know you've got this going on. Are you, is everything okay? Hey, are you good? And we check in with each other. What would that look like in this world if we stopped claiming the name of church and actually started being church? So you want to ask me where my hope is that we are headed? That's my answer. And this idea of being open and welcoming and inviting new people in. Some of you have been asking me what this big announcement was. And some of you have taken it upon yourselves to create other random announcements that are not true about me and Anna having a kid. Not true. Um, going out on the record right now, me and Anna are not having a baby. Um, and I just want to go ahead and put that out there. But the shift that is happening is this. And, and, I, and I apologize if you were looking for a bigger announcement than this. But the shift that is happening is that we are changing the name of this worship service. And the reason we're changing the name is because family worship, while that was the hope to begin with, we realized that that puts barriers on who feels welcomed here. If I don't have kids, if I'm single, then I'm not welcome at family worship. And so, if you can't read it, it literally says the connection, which is an intergenerational worship experience. And if you want to know what we're all about here, and you may not get on board with this, and if not, then uh, I love you, but uh, this is what we're going to do here. It's fulfilling the great commandment through connecting with God and one another. Which means two things. That uh, you're not just running from the devil, but you're running to God. 
But it also means that you actually start to care about the people sitting next to you. And yes, I realize for the most part, we're all sitting next to our family, but maybe you need to look to the table next to you then. And that we start to be engaged with one another. Um, and there's, so, there's something else that Jill put some up here. Um, they're turned over. But like, there's these things, and what you can't see is these things are little postcards. They've got our new wonderful connection logo. And so maybe you're looking around and you're going, you know, there's somebody that I want to connect with and they're not here. Um, so my challenge to you then is to take a card, write a letter, write a note, let them know you miss them. Or maybe there's somebody that you know that isn't here, but they're going through some stuff and you don't even want to say, hey, I, I missed you at church, come back. But you just want to write in, hey, we're praying for you. Um, these are what we're going to coin as our connection cards. These are the cards that will be here every week that if you have somebody that you feel would, need, would benefit from receiving just an acknowledgement that, hey, you're cared for, that you take one and you write the note and you write the address. If you don't have the address, here's, I'll make a deal with you. If you don't have the address and you just have a name, we'll figure out the address. And if, you don't have, if you're not comfortable paying for the postage, you can leave it on a table and we'll pay for the postage. What we are trying to do, plain and simple, is this. Is we are trying to remove excuses that we can have to connect. And my challenge to you as a congregation is to remove those excuses and find ways to connect as well. So, moving forward, we will be the connection. We will be meeting in here, um, and it looks very empty. Um, that's on us. Another challenge I could issue is, hey, invite somebody that you see that's not here this week. We came back from all of this mess of COVID and all of that, and what we know is that there are still people that are not coming, and some of them have viable reasons of feeling, for feeling uncomfortable and coming. That's fine too. Um, I will start actually posting the audio of these sermons on the church Facebook page so, there's, so they can go listen to them there, so you can let them know that too. But also... Invite them if they're if they're welcome if they feel invited if they feel missed if they feel welcome then they're a lot more likely to actually show up. My challenge is that we start to connect with one another. Amen.